Hi, welcome to the Digital Twin Fan Club podcast. Uh, this is Henry. And just a little note to say congratulations to Mark on winning his OBE from all of us at the fan club. We're putting this episode out now as a uh, bit of an homage to the man himself. And so you can, if you haven't heard his voice and heard his point of view, you can learn a little bit about his perspective and his angle on things. I think you'll find it informative. Hi and welcome to the Digital Twin Fan Club podcast. Today we have special guest Mark Enzar, National Digital Twin Program Lead. Is that the correct your correct title, Mark? It's not far off. I, th- I think it would be Head of the National Digital Twin Program. Head of the National Digital Twin Program. Don't forget me. <laughs> oh, you can do your own, Henry. <laughs> oh, fine. Today we have special guest Mark Enzar, Head of the National Digital Twin Program and Chief Technical Officer for Mott MacDonald. We also have our astound Digital Twin Fan Club co-founder, Henry Fenby-Taylor, as well. Yes, I also am here. Thanks for that glowing introduction, Jonathan. So, Mark, do you want to do a brief introduction to your role at the Centre of Digital Built Britain and the National Digital Twin Programme? So, um, <clears throat> I think that principally my role in CBB is to have an overview of the program. Uh, the way that we've set the program up is that we've got some really good stream leads uh, running different parts of the delivery vehicle that, that we've developed. Um, so thankfully, they do all the work. And then what I do is, is just have a look over the top and see what's going on, uh, see which direction we should go in, and hopefully make connections around the place uh, so that we can bring others on the journey with us. I think that's probably what my role is. So you're steering the ship then? I think that would be too grand a thing to say. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on the ship. I'm looking where the ship's going. You're not standing at the front Napoleon-esque? No. I'm in. Okay. Not, not standing at the front. I, I think what I'm doing is, is waving at all the other ships, saying, hey, come this direction, it's fun. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Going on to other people's ships, the ship's diplomat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, okay. So what is the National Digital Twin program then? Good question. So um, I guess part of that is what is the National Digital Twin? And then what is the National Digital Twin program? I think you have already covered off for everyone what, the, what a digital twin is. So I won't go back over that. Um, I'd like to think we've, we've nailed that one pretty firmly closed and just kept going really so that that's just... a really that's a really good thing because I, I might i might get into a spin on that one so so if i take it as read that everybody knows what a digital twin is then uh, the national digital twin is really about connecting twins together uh, we like the idea of twins that can talk to each other and so if you imagine uh, a couple of related twins it would make nice uh, make sense wouldn't it for them to be able to talk and twins talking really means sharing data uh, in a secure way. Um, and we reckon that if we can facilitate that secure, resilient data sharing uh, across organisational and sector boundaries, we can be connecting twins up. Uh, so the National Digital Twin is envisaged as an ecosystem of connected twins. Uh, Just give us an example of what would be a, not necessarily something that's in the pipes or maybe something that is in the pipes, but... 
just give us an example of uh, some of the cool ideas that might um, come out of connecting digital twins together. What are the potential benefits? Well, the kind of thing that you, you can imagine is if, if you've got, um, let's just imagine, a, an energy, ne energy network uh, and you've got a digital twin uh, of that system uh, or probably even many digital twins doing all sorts of useful things within that uh, energy system uh, and you've got those twins talking to each other uh, so that generation talks to distribution etc um, but then also you've got transport sector digital twins that the idea of connecting twins across sectors is really that if you've got something like electric vehicles where um, there'll be charging points uh, dotted around the country uh, and electric vehicles uh, moving around the place needing the charging points you could ask the question well is, is that a, a transport thing or is it an energy thing uh, and so the idea of being able to share the relevant data uh, across sectors uh, and between uh, sector digital twins kind of makes sense for uh, for those those types of things uh, and you can see that uh, digital twins would be useful in planning. But in some ways, you can imagine that the planning is more of a static thing. You, you could kind of do that uh, in isolation. Um, it'd be better to do it off live data or, or real data for sure. But I, I, think, I think where the connections uh, will make most sense is actually in the operation. So we see digital twins having relevance uh, in, in all processes related to uh, our built environment. So, so definitely the planning and design uh, and construction, etc. Uh, but I think uh, it's really in the operation and maintenance that you, you can see them coming into their own. Uh, and so if we're using this example of electric vehicles and charging points and which electric vehicles are using which charging points, uh, you know, that's a dynamic thing. Um, whereas you might argue that the planning and how uh, often down a road you, you want to put the charging points, that feels like a more of a static thing. But, but if you've got swarms of electric vehicles which are moving around the place, uh, changing quite significantly where the demand is uh, on the energy system, that, that feels like a much more dynamic thing uh, which needs to be fed um, by data which is much more live. Uh, and so I, I do think that it's it's in the context of operation that we'll see digital twins really coming into their own. So to contextualise that a little bit, as an example, you've got a very large, say 10 years time, electric vehicles are a big part of our society, uh, automated vehicles are a big part of our society. You've got a huge event in the city, you've then got a large influx of people to that city that then significantly increase the requirement for electricity and charging, charging point use in that area, that's how the idea of feeding that real-time data back to the, the grid would allow them to shift power around to support that particular use case. Yeah, I think, I think so. But, but I, I think that there's probably some overlapping use cases here. Uh, and so if, if we're imagining these uh, swarms of electric vehicles moving around the place in response to uh, user requirements... Uh, and kind of turning up where, where people need them, um, we, we would need to kind of know where that is and where are they all going 
mm. and certainly know that for um, the energy demand for for charging. Uh, but but you know another aspect of this um, this kind of dynamic view is that if those electric vehicles are also seen as batteries, and every now and again uh, we want them to stop and plug in somewhere so that uh, they can be used for their storage and not just for them being charged, uh, then again, we, we can see a benefit of having an integrated digital twin uh, that can request that the electric vehicles go to a particular place at a particular time uh, in order to um, serve the energy system um, for storage purposes. You can't do that unless you you have an overview of, of what's going on. And, and like I said, I think that that ends up being a, um, a combination of both an, an energy issue and a transport issue. Uh, and therefore the shared data across the sector becomes a, a really useful thing to be able to facilitate. Because we're not talking trivial numbers here, the national grid expects there to be up to 2 million electric vehicles in the UK by 2021 which would represent um, an 18 gigawatt increase uh, on the national grid, which is the equivalent of six nuclear power plants. So that's uh, a very big amount of demand. And we obviously don't want to build power plants willy nilly. So being able to strategically distribute that energy most effectively will enable us huge amounts of cost savings, I could imagine. Yes, I think that's exactly right. Uh, and, and I think uh, you can see that um, with those kind of numbers, being able to have some way of managing the system be- becomes important. It's not just about managing individual electric vehicles. It's about m- managing many of them and how they interrelate to each other and the energy system and the transport system. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, in order to have any hope of doing that, that there needs to be some pretty heavy duty modelling going on. Uh, but modelling that is fed from uh, dead data or just imagined data uh, won't, won't be much use in something that is so dynamic as that. You know, this gives a really good example, I think, of, of why it needs to be fed uh, from real data coming out of what's happening in the real world at that, at that time. So um, I, I think that... Um, you know, what, what you've alighted on here as an example uh, is, a, is a really good one. And you can see precisely why both digital twins and connected digital twins uh, would be so helpful. It, it sparked a memory from a hackathon that I was involved with um, about six months ago uh, for Highways England, where we were given a bunch of data from their network and we had to come up with a better way, we had to come up with a concept of a better way of using that data. And the thing that the data scientists came up with, they, they took a bunch of data from the M62 motorway between Manchester and Leeds and proved that you had uh, a different chance of being in a crash at a, a different time of the day and a different day of the week. Uh, and that was a very, it was a very dynamic thing. It wasn't fixed. It wasn't, this road has this risk. And that is currently how a lot of roads as far as it was mentioned at the hackathon, that that's how roads are categorised. There is a risk factor of X on this road. However, they actually proved through a bunch of clever data scientist stuff that on a given day, your risk changed depending on what time of the day you use the road, which made complete sense. And 
Highways England had real time, near enough real time data of this of this change, of this dynamic change, and in theory that could be implemented to, to, to create a real time risk factor on on road use that could be fed to users. So if you are using the M62 at eight o'clock on a Monday morning, you had a significantly higher chance of being in a crash than at nine thirty. That uh, and the, the concept we came up with, the, the the hypothesis we proved, is that could be fed to say sat navs or something like that to give users real-time feedback of the risk factor on that road at a given period of time. The way things are done at the moment is we're used to using old data. So you get data, you get your best guess together, and then you, you create a table, and then you don't revisit it. So, yeah, that's that sort of dynamic back and forth. Yeah, I, I think it's that, that dynamic uh, modelling fed by real data is, is the key to this. Because I, I guess in that that basic definition of a digital twin you know, being a, a realistic representation of something that's physical, you know, what, what that misses out is this essential characteristic uh, that it's connected. It's connected to the, the physical mm-hmm. world by data. Uh, I, I don't think that that always has to be a live connection, incidentally, because I think that that depends on purpose. And so we were talking about um, digital twins that could be used for planning. Uh, and, and that's a really valid use case for digital twins. And, and I kind of think that uh, digital twins used for planning might not need a real-time um, data feed. But, but if we're talking about these operational digital twins, that, that connection between uh, the physical and the digital uh, needs to be uh, real-time or near, near real-time. Uh, and, and, and it's that connection that makes it a world of difference from just any old model. Because we've had models for, for yonks. Yeah. Um, but you know, what makes it deliver the value is that it's connected via data to the thing it's modeling. <laughs> you know, almost QED. That, that's, the big, that's the big value add. I, mean, I, I, think, I think there's something else in here as, as well, which is where the value actually comes from, which uh, in my mind is, is about decisions and making better decisions. Um, and, and maybe it's abstracting it to kind of too much of a conceptual level. But, but I, I really think that one of the things that, that kind of unifies an awful lot of digital twins, whether they are digital twins of individual assets or digital twins of systems, whether they're operational digital twins or twins used for planning, uh, the, the thing which unifies them is it's about um, making better decisions. And I think that uh, if we are seeing digital twins in those terms, uh, then we can come up with all sorts of different use cases. If we're imagining which decisions do we want to make better, and therefore what analysis do we have to do of which data that will enable us to make those better decisions faster and cheaper? And that will point to all sorts of use cases for digital twins across all the asset life cycles. Yeah, which, which could mean better operational decisions, better maintenance decisions, better planning decisions, better design decisions. You know, I could go on, but, but you know, it's, it's the decisions, I think, better decisions unlock the value. Let's, let's go for another example. So, um, so I'm really interested in uh, cities, city planning and uh, the use of space by people and the use of uh, the environment. And with an increasingly urbanized population, it's going to be more important in the future 
to be able to manage our cities effectively. And it does seem like there's a lot of scope there for digital twins to help potentially. Yeah, I, I think that is exactly right. Um, I, I think that uh, cities will be one of those examples where um, we can most see the benefit of digital twins coming together and being able to talk to each other. Uh, because it's in cities that various different uh, infrastructure systems meet in the service of people. Uh, I, I feel this is a, a really important point because, because I think it's, it's meant to all be about people. That's the reason why we've got our built environment. It's why we've, we've built the infrastructure. It's to serve people. Uh, and I think that um, people uh, uh, should be the, the starting point and end point uh, for our considerations uh, around uh, the use of infrastructure uh, and digital twins very much fits into that. So, so in the context of cities, uh, we see all these different infrastructure systems coming together to serve people uh, and therefore uh, it makes most sense for our digital twins uh, of those systems uh, to talk to each other in the context of cities. Um, but I'd, I'd like to maybe just emphasise this, this people point again, because uh, I think that if we see that we have built the most amazing system of systems in our infrastructure, it's, it's complex, interconnected, amazing. It's a machine that, that we've built, but, but we've built it uh, to serve people and society. Uh, and I think that uh, when we recognise that, uh, then we can see people and society uh, as the reason why we have this stuff uh, and therefore the reason why we'd want to improve it, the reason why we want to make better decisions that drive better outcomes. Uh, and, and so I think um, some, sometimes we come at it the wrong way uh, and we do some clever technical stuff because it's fun or because it's shiny, uh, but really it should be driven by the purpose uh, of improving outcomes for people. Okay, so you see the, I mean, like most things we do within the built environment, it generally is about, apart from we're businesses and we're here to drive businesses, the, the projects we're involved with are generally about improving people's lives in one way or another, uh, particularly when you're talking about city and urban plan scale. So ultimately, the National Digital Twin is about improving lives. I'm not going to say reducing cost because that's just a typical kind of built environment. You said it now. We're it came out of your cost. mouth. We're going to reduce <laughs> cost. I, I don't necessarily think reducing cost is always the right thing to do in the built environment. Sometimes spending more is a better decision. Um, but that's one of the, again, that's another topic we would like to cover. The, cap, the issue with capital expenditure and digital twins is something that uh, I'm, I'm, ta I'm tasseling with uh, at the moment. Um, what, what, what are the problems you're having? So, first of all, one of the topics, one of the things that you and I have been discussing, Henry, is where the concept of digital twins or clusters of digital twins, the management and delivery of those as a, as a service or a sector or a, or, a, or a collection of services and basically delivering them to industry and to the, to the country how they would operate as, as, as a business and, and how we would, we would deliver them to clients. So where, where do they sit in, in industry? Are they, they, are they um, their own sector? Are they going to develop into are they gonna be a series of 
digital twin consultancies? Does it sit within um, strategic FM or what are white call strategic FM firms? Because I think that's, that's quite a comfortable thing. And from my experience of working in strategic FM, they, they really get pounded on, on budgets and cost on every project I've worked on. I mean, I've been working with them uh, coming at it from a digital engineering perspective or working as part of, or working with them leading BIM, uh, which you have as well, Andrew, um, back in our previous life. But they always get hammered on fees and budget because the client is solely focused on the capital delivery cost and their budget always gets squashed to about a tenth of what it was when they started the project. And I was wondering whether there's a risk that the, the idea of a digital twin at, say, like a, a hospital level or a school level or an office level could fall into that into that trap of where the client's solely focused on, on capital delivery and not operational costs against that. Is that something you think will be addressed as part of the National Digital Twin Programme, Mark? How to get clients to focus on life cycle rather than capital delivery? Yeah, I think, I think it's definitely related um, because I, I recognise what you're saying, that, that it is possible on individual projects to kind of get sucked uh-huh. into thinking that, that value is defined in terms of fees and budget, uh, transfer of risks and just outputs. Um, but that's just looking at it at a kind of a project level. I think if we zoom out and we see the built environment and infrastructure as a system of systems, um, then uh, what's much more important are, are outcomes uh, for people. Uh, not the outputs of a project and we can see the projects really as an intervention on the system but the important thing first of all are the people for whom we want to get these better outcomes Uh, but we can then see it's the system that delivers that Uh, and and I think with that view then we can have a, a, a more enlightened view of what value really is so not looking at it down at that level of outputs and and minimum initial cost what we can define value as, uh, or in terms of, as outcomes uh, and whole life cost. Uh, I think but that's an area where uh, digital construction has really had a tough time because it's being implemented in client organisations and consultant, contractor, asset management consultancies, and they're all being done at different levels, being pushed by different people, and so there's a often a mismatch amongst even inside the organizations and definitely when they come to try and communicate their goals aspirations and desires there is this uh, mismatch of maturity and this mismatch of mm. of capability and i think that leads to uh, a lot of missed opportunities a lot of wasted money um so having something that comes from the national level for all of BIM Level 2's issues, it certainly was applied across sector, across ministry. It, it, it was embedded. It was definitely embedded. So if the National Digital Twin Programme can add that sort of value to all of the various stakeholders that it must have to get buy-in, and I think that's going to be one of the biggest challenges, is you've got to convince a lot of people at a lot of different levels of how useful this is, and then you've got all the technical problems of actually trying to make it happen on the ground and trying to make your digital twin work with the national digital twin. 
Yeah, there, there's a lot of really meaty stuff in uh, in what you're saying there, uh, uh, and quite a bit of it I'd, I'd like to chew over. Uh, I, mean, I, I think that the, the system's view ends up being really important in this, because if we do look on the built environment and, and infrastructure just as a series of construction projects, uh, then it kind of inevitably ends up being that, that we're trying to drive um, a minimum cost for those uh, for the for the outputs. But if we see infrastructure in the built environment with a systems view, uh, and we're looking at outcomes and whole life cost, and when I say outcomes, what I'm really talking about outcomes for people, some kind of uh, balance that we want between economic, environmental and social outcomes. And, and what we're looking for really is to, to maximise the outcomes per pound. Then, then we need a systems view to be able to get to that. It's not just the minimum price for my new bridge. It's looking at the whole system and seeing what will overall deliver the outcomes that the, the people want. And I think if we have a systems view, then we can start to see not just projects from that perspective, but we can see the value um, of systems-based solutions. Um, uh, and, and for me, one of the really big examples of this just now uh, is net zero, where net zero clearly is a systemic issue. Uh, and there's no way that we're going to be able to address uh, the, the challenge of net zero through siloed solutions. Uh, what we need uh, to solve a systemic issue is a systems-based solution. Uh, and, and so I think it's essential for us to start seeing that system of systems that is our infrastructure. Uh, and then that means we need competent tools to help us manage that system of systems. Uh, and that's where the National Digital Twin steps up, because it's saying uh, it makes sense to have individual digital twins, doing their own purpose, but then if we can take a bit of data out of each of those uh, and connect it up to other digital twins, uh, then we can start to imagine solutions uh, to uh, system level problems. Uh, net zero is an absolutely key one. There's all sorts of others like uh, resilience. Uh, I would also say that um, uh, the circular economy is a, a system level um, challenge that needs a, a system-based solution uh, and in fact I would argue that even the stuff we're talking about on outcomes where what we're trying to do is aim uh, for the, you know, the the best outcomes for people uh, per pound that is really um, a systemic issue and we can only get that if we're looking at the whole system there's no way we can deliver that just from individual outputs of individual projects so, 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 you know, I think it's absolutely essential that we start to see this system-based view. But I also think it has to be people-focused. Uh, and uh, as I, as I um, have indicated, I think that we need to have outcomes for people and society um, as the start point and end point of our tinkering with the system. But we need to see the system and we need tools to be able to uh, help us manage that system to deliver the outcomes. Yeah. I've always no. been very sceptical of sustainability statistics and, well, most statistics generally, because if you dig deep enough into them, you find out all sorts of assumptions and all sorts of guesses. And I would really like to 
have that level of transparency where we can really see and really prove in a way that no other country can what we're doing and how effective it's being. Yeah, a good example of that, Henry, is going back to early BIM adoption measurement and value that early, early adopted BIM projects gave. Back when BIM level two was within its infancy, clients were saying they were adopting it and they were saving money on site. And all they did was take their Navis Works clash reports and times the amount of clashes that were removed by £20,000. And they mm. said, that's how much we've saved because of BIM, when in reality, that is just... It's, it's a blood instrument, isn't it? Yeah. It's a blood <laughs> instrument. You know, there's no way to know how much money you've saved from things you didn't do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I think that I think that, that that discussion, Mark, leads nicely on to the next topic. I don't know how exactly we do we will we'll, we'll table this. You might need to pick another example, but um, something that we were exploring for our Apple uh, our IBM event was that didn't take place due to a global pandemic, which is a first uh, for a conference. Oh, uh, really? What what's that? The uh, the you know the the event at IBM that was going oh to sorry I meant the global pandemic I'm oh, sorry no, so, no, we that. I was okay. I was being funny <laughs> oh, yeah. well that's that in Henry um, we were going to explore <laughs> or one of the topics we were going to discuss was what as a country and collection of countries we would look like if the national digital twin program has been successful that's a re- that's a really interesting concept that because it's it's kind of like if we get this right, this is how we could operate as a country. Hopefully we won't get any um, conspiracy theories against like 5G or something like that. The national digital twin is going to do bad things. Oh, I, think, I think you already know the answer to that, my, <laughs> my friend. If you've got a conspiracy, I suppose you've been successful, haven't you? To me, that could be one of the KPIs. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There is. There has been a group set up that hates us. Clearly, we are doing good things. Yeah. <laughs> so, Mark, um, if we are successful with the National Digital Twin Program, say in in twenty thirty five, as a as a date, what will? Um, a country and collection of countries look like how will we operate how will things be different have you got i know it's quite that's a quite a tough question because there's a heck of a long way to go to that and it's, it might be a little bit sci-fi will they be better or will they be worse <laughs> yeah definitely better <laughs> good good i'm glad you said that <laughs> yeah I, I think that it might not look different on the outside um, because the, the things we're talking about, uh, particularly around information, information management, making better decisions, those are things which you can't see in themselves. But what you, what you can see is the, uh, the outcome of them. So I, I think that what we should expect from this uh, is that we are making better better decisions faster and cheaper. You know, we, we should be demanding better outcomes from our built environment, uh, much more connected, much more integrated, uh, much less siloed, um, which is a which is a big ask. Um, and you know, the silos people, are very well established, aren't they? People love silos, um, and I think that humans 
tend to create silos. It seems to be a, a comfort zone for us. Uh, and um, you know, we, we seem to like categorizing and then, uh, and then categorizing others as, as being different uh, and having some kind of silos. And then there's silos within silos. And so, so I, th I think that maybe silos are, are a bit of a comfort zone for, for humans. Uh, but, but one of the beautiful things about information is that it can uh, break the, the barriers of silos. Even if, even if people don't want to get out of their silos and go, and, and go somewhere else, uh, information can cross those boundaries. And so, so I, I think that this is kind of at the heart of the National Digital Twin. Uh, it's about getting information to cross borders, to cross organisational and sector boundaries. Uh, and like I say, even if people don't want to do it, the information can. Uh, and it's it's that it's that method of silo busting that I think will uh, deliver the value. How on earth are you going to do that? Well, by the national digital twin, because I because I think that if we have minimised the friction in data sharing across organisational and sector boundaries, uh, then that facilitates uh, this transfer of data, it facilitates secure, resilient data sharing, uh, and you know, and that de facto uh, is is the thing that crosses the silos. I think, I think there's something else about what we would hope to see as a result of doing all of this, and if, if we were successful, was that there, were, there would be a measurable improvement in the performance of our infrastructure. Uh, and I think at the moment, we're not even really sure what that performance is. Mm. We don't kind of have the metrics to, to tell us how our infrastructure is performing. Uh, and I think there are two two um, ways of viewing infrastructure performance which are important in this. Uh, one is to see how our infrastructure is performing as a system. And, and we've talked quite a bit about systems and systems of systems, but um, we kind of need to know how our infrastructure is performing as a system, which sounds like a very mechanical kind of thing or a mathematical thing. But then I think we also need to understand how our infrastructure is performing as a service. Uh, and that, you know, what it feels like to be a human uh, uh, being served by that infrastructure. Uh, and I think that if we did have competent metrics that related to the performance of infrastructure, both as a system and as a service, uh, then we should see the national digital twin uh, improving those metrics. Uh, but but we're just at a starting point now, so we you kind of got to invent those metrics first, yeah. and, then, and then show that they've been improved. Yeah, I mean, I think at the moment for the infrastructure projects that I'm working on, or in our group that we're working on, it, it, success is seen by is seen by delivering on time and on budget, and it's very rarely that um, that happens <laughs> at the moment. And that's that's how success is measured by our, our infrastructure projects. Yeah, but I mean that's an interesting one in itself, isn't it? Because you can deliver something on time and on budget and pat yourself on the back and say this is brilliant but what happens if it was the wrong thing well, that's not me just delivered the wrong <laughs> thing on time and on budget where actually what would deliver a better outcome for people is something completely different somewhere else in the system mm. uh, and and you get a better outcome per pound for the different thing uh, which I think just un underlines what I was saying about um, these system-based solutions and, and what should drive us really is outcomes for people it's i mean it's interesting it's interesting the maneuver the, the moves i'm seeing in or the opportunities the idea digital twin is it, the business opportunities is giving people the business opportunity is giving us we're starting to explore 
Um, not necessarily a pure digital twin, I would say, but the idea of giving clients data through connecting up their, their clusters of assets is, is creating opportunities for us. So we're, and it, it, as a collection of businesses, we are here to, to drive business, improve our clients' uh, lives. And it is, I think, as that starts to happen, in, if you've got 10 or 15 clients that start to create clusters of twins, I think something that is really important for the national digital twin, I think we're going to discuss it on one of the next podcast series, the information management framework, because at the minute the way we're doing it is uh, we're looking at the client, looking at what they want to do and kind of just doing what fits them, but there's going to be no commonality between what they're doing. It's going to be a very much an individual kind of, this is their solution for them because that's what they want to achieve and there's no commonality between it. There's supposed to be that level of commonality in terms of information management, but I think what we've learned as we've matured um, is that clients have different needs, different requirements and different existing systems, and you need to be able to fit in with what they're doing. And I think um, the danger is always if you create a very big complex system and foist it onto people, they will revert back to type. I mean, I mean, for me, the, the idea of an, I've been considering the idea of a national digital twin during this outbreak, because obviously this has been an unprecedented, the, 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 the COVID outbreak has been an unprecedented event and our country's had to do stuff it's never done before. And the idea of having some kind of system of systems to view how everything is working during this pandemic, I think would have added a heck of a lot of value to the people making the decisions of this government probably prime ministerial level because they if they could see where people were what they were using what infrastructure was being used and then overlay that with hospital hospital admissions and deaths then they would have been able if they've been to see that not necessarily in real time but heading towards that on a daily basis they, they may be able to to manage this outbreak a little bit better because i know there's you know, track people but Think about how cars um, manage real-time traffic data. They use they use mobile phone clusters to say there's there's a tra- there's a traffic jam around the corner that's literally just appeared. I'm sure if the if the government had the ability to track track infrastructure, track hospital submissions, track people location, track infrastructure use, power use, they would have been able to potentially manage this situation at a whole, a whole different level of granularity. So maybe. Um, a national digital twin could support pandemic management as a, as a concept. Yeah, I think that is right. Uh, I, mean, I, I think, again, what you're pointing to is, is making better decisions uh, and uh, having uh, a relevant models fed by um, quality data from the real world uh, kind of inevitably should lead to making better decisions. So, so I, I, I kind of obviously agree with you. Uh, I, I think what, one of the things that that points to, though, uh, is that uh, we will need to uh, change the way that we make decisions. So I, th- I think part of the promise of the National Digital Twin is that it can enable people to make better decisions, but it can't force them to. Uh, and uh, I think that there may need to be some behavioural and cultural change 
that, that if actually we, we do serve up very much better information to the right people at the right time to help them make a better decision, that then they actually need to make a better decision. Uh, yeah. there's, there's actually a big, a big question mark over that mm. um, because I think that we may end up being quite set in our ways as to how we, how we make decisions. And if people in the past have kind of been forced to make decisions in the absence of good information, um, they will be surprised and shocked if suddenly good information is delivered to them that they'll need to change their ways, make the decisions slightly differently, uh, but then also be held accountable for the decisions that are made. It's, it's interesting because it, going back 10 years to the start of the, the digital engineering movement in the UK, kind of uh, circa 2010, 2011, we kind of, as an industry, decided that we could serve better information to facility managers and business owners through BIM and through asset management data, but that hasn't really stuck over the last 10 years. And it's still, I, I still don't believe it's sticking today, to be honest. To I be think honest. The, the fundamental reason for that is, is the same force that happened when governments and local governments started digitizing is the first steps a lot of people took, their first iteration, their first crack at it, was to take a paper form and to make it available online and then maybe to make it editable online. And then maybe it's an online form that you can submit online. But there were those discrete phases. And I think we've, we're doing that in construction, in the built environment. Yeah. The in PDF. the built environment generally. Yeah, because ultimately it all comes down to the bottleneck of a PDF. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that for me doesn't enable good decision making. And I think that's, that's the real issue that we're facing is that what we're producing is an archive. Lots of people, even if they're in operations, they're in planning, they're in design, they're in construction, a lot of the things that are produced that aren't actual physical things is paperwork. And so I think we're, we're in the first or the second phase of, of that step, of that, of that transition into a world where, well, why did it ever leave? Why did it ever become a PDF? Sure, we might need, you know, we need to have uh, a line in the sand and say this was done at this period and this was done at this time and this was done then. But that shouldn't be the tools that you're using to make your decisions. Yeah, the, the notorious PDF. You spend a million pound on software changing... Uh, a huge multidisciplinary consultancy, but they're still issuing PDFs as the control document on the contract. And I think yeah. Digital Twins have a real opportunity to be a big impact there. I think that's the last big bottleneck is, is the PDF. Um, mm. And as I say, I'm not against PDFs. And I think, as I say, you still need to keep record copies and that, that's fine. But that's not a, a useful tool. Yeah, the, 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 the thing that I can see working is BIM kind of, or the traditional digital engineering process kind of really struggled to, to demonstrate value quickly to clients. They didn't really understand it. There's a heck of a lot of benefit for the, the design engineers, but the clients really struggled to see the value they were getting from us designing into coordinate 3D, basically. Mm. But the idea of digital twin, the clients were talking about this concept to they're kind of saying, oh, well, actually, that makes sense because 
take take the school example again that I mentioned on podcast number one. The, we, we, it wasn't even really a digital twin where we connected IoT sensors to the building management system and basically to measure temperature. But we then also found out that the um, BMS, the, the commissioning team hadn't turned off uh, an algorithm that was heating the building up every night at two o'clock and then turn and then cooling it again. That was Forming their decisions. Yeah. Hurrah, we're, we're come full circle. Yeah, so it was... There's something I think is um, is relevant in here, which which is the interface between a digital and human. I think we've talked quite a bit uh, effectively about the connection between digital and, and physical, uh, and how digital twins effectively model the physical world, assets, processes, and systems, and and how they're connected, uh, and that that's that's really good and really important. But when it comes to these making better decisions and and getting rid of the, the dreaded PDF, uh, I think that that's really about how the digital twin then communicates to humans and how communi- humans can have a, a look inside the digital twin and understand what's going on. Uh, and, and so I, I think a, re- you know, a really key part of getting rid of that PDF uh, is about the visualization aspect of digital twins um, because I don't think that what people want is just to see a lot of data. Uh, no. the, the digital twin is taking data from the physical world, but what it should be doing um, is making sense of it and then delivering up insight to people. So rather than people being drowned in a mass of too much data that they can't make sense of, what they should be delivered, what should be given to them, presented to them in a really accessible way, uh, is the insight on which they can base the decision. And I I think that that kind of filtering process or value-adding process of digital twins is is another really key aspect of of what digital twins will do for us. So these decision-makers that we've talked about, uh, and I'm saying that decision-makers maybe have to change the way they do things. Uh, Henry was saying, we've got to get rid of PDFs. Um, I, I think that this all comes down to the interface between digital and human. Uh, and we, we really need our digital twins to be very cleverly designed so that what they serve up to humans is a nice distilled amount of insight uh, so that the, the humans can make a, a much better informed decision. Uh, and like I said earlier, earlier on, um, um, have a good reasons why they made the decision and then be able to be held accountable for that decision. But, but they can't do that. We can't, we can't make that happen unless there's a really good connection between the digital and the human. Mm. Our society now wants to be able to get the information they need in three clicks. If it's further than that, then they tend to get frustrated and not bother. Uh, so if you could provide a business the ability to get the insights they want in a very slick, seamless manner. Now, I know the, the background information is going to be horrendously complex. Looking to go back to that High Res England hackathon, the, uh, the data that was served was insane. The amount of, it, it was like 30 gigabytes of uh, highways data to, to, soft, to sift through. So actually, but the data scientist did a fantastic job of making that visible to someone like me who's not a data scientist. Yeah, and that user interface, that user experience, which is is 25 years old now, 1995 it was coined, the idea of user experience is something that 
really needs to go hand in hand with this because this is a technical project and I think user interface is not necessarily something that the built environment has specialized in, in terms of how it communicates data. I think user experience of space, user experience of places, fantastic. I'm very proud of some of the projects I've been involved with, very proud of the, a lot of the great monuments that we've built. I'm going to stop sucking up to the, I'm going to stop sucking up to the built environment now. Sorry. But the point is there is that this is, this is a new direction and we are entering a space that has been trodden before. And there are lots of experts and there is lots of expertise in this area that we can draw on. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the sort of experts and people that you're, we're drawing on for the National Digital Twin? Yeah, I think there's, there's two really key communities in, in this, um, both of which are expert in their own way, but, but they're different. And I think it's important to recognize each of their value and then bring them together in a way that is value adding. So, mm -hmm. so the first of the communities is the, is the community of practitioners uh, the people who are getting on and developing digital twins and, and just learning by doing, mm. you know, there's nothing going to hold them back. They're just getting on and starting. Um, but uh, just by doing, they, they are gaining experience and that experience is valuable. Uh, and we think that uh, if that experience can be shared so that we don't have uh, others kind of falling in the same holes, making the same mistakes, that, that that's really valuable for the, for the industry. So uh, what we've done is establish something called the DT Hub, the Digital Twin Hub, specifically for this community of practitioners. Uh, and the mantra that goes with it is learn by doing, progress by sharing. Uh, so we're very much in encouraging um, the uh, kind of the agile approach of, of picking up the lessons from experience by just getting on and doing it, but then sharing it. So, so that's one community, the, the practitioners. And I think that's, that's a hugely important community um, for kind of learning the practical stuff uh, and coming up, uh, I think, with good practice and pro probably guidance and maybe later on down the, down the road, some standards relating to kind of how do you do stuff? How do I start doing a digital twin? Really practical stuff. Hmm. The other community, the other experts that we've got working with uh, are the, the people working on the information management framework. The idea of the information management framework is to provide uh, an open and standard way to facilitate uh, secure, resilient data sharing. Uh, and, and this kind of needs to have that expert input uh, because we need to come around to um, a consistent and common way of doing that we, we can't have a thousand flowers blooming uh, and I, I guess if we're if we're aiming for interoperability it doesn't work if you've got a thousand different ways of doing interoperability because by definition that won't be interoperable so 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 you know, when it comes to the information management framework we, we do need to have that expert input uh, however as I'm sure you've spotted um, that won't work if, if they're doing it in isolation. So the, the experts need the practitioners uh, and the practitioners need the experts. Um, and in saying that, I'm, I'm not saying that practitioners aren't experts. It's just, just a different name for a different community. Mm -hmm. um, so, so we kind of need it that uh, as the people working on the information management framework come up with ideas, uh, that the DT hub can test it out and see if it works. Um, 
as I said, learn by doing. But um, also within the DT hub, we can imagine that the practitioners uh, will come across common problems and they say, oh, look, we've, we've all got this same problem. Can you experts please help us out because we need a, a common solution to the common problem? Uh, and therefore, what I'm kind of drawing here in, in words, I've got a, a diagram which would do it much better, but uh, we, we've got these two communities uh, that need to be inextricably linked to help each other out. Uh, and and that's, that's the way that we're kind of approaching it, um, which we, we feel uh, is a, a useful way of engaging with the kind of expertise that we have in the industry. So should people invest now? So the answer is yes, definitely invest. Um, but I think it's more than that because we can see that, that uh, organisations already are investing. Uh, it might not be consistent across all organisations, but I guess going, going back to my distribution curve, we, we definitely see the innovators and the early adopters uh, investing heavily in this already. Uh, and it mm. might be that some at the other end of the distribution curve will follow on later, but that's fine because we might not be able to cope with everyone doing it all at once. So, so yes, industry should definitely invest in this. Um, I think there are some specific areas that need some specific investment. So particularly around that systems thinking and, and upskilling ourselves to be able to uh, do complexity science, <laughs> to do systems engineering and to see the system and come up with system solutions for system problems. Uh, so I, th I think that's, you know, the systems piece is really important. Uh, but then also on information management, I think that we've got some uh, really good um, data scientists out there now. Uh, I know that sometimes they're, they're a bit like hen's teeth. Um, so so we, you know, we know about data scientists. We know we need them. Uh, but actually data scientists are not going to be enough. We need people to curate the data. We need people who can be doing something with the data uh, once uh, we've done the management of the data. And I think that the whole thing of adding value to it by making sense of it um, is, is really important in here. So, so I, I think there's a whole kind of rake of upskilling that's going to be required around information management rather than just data science. Uh, and then I think also the thing that we've talked about of making those better decisions faster and cheaper uh, I think that there's going to be the need for a lot of upskilling uh, around decision making. Mm. Might sound strange to say that, but I, you know, I think that if that's where the value release comes from, uh, then we really are going to have to teach ourselves how to make the better decisions in the light of having better insights uh, on which to make them. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting discussion uh, for a, a government department to go back and go back with evidence and information and data to say we need to invest 30% more because it's going to deliver 50% more value to the people. That's it's all about those questions that they're asking as well, because I know that we've, you know, we, we've kind of walked, walked around those sorts of uh, decisions that people will be making, but we don't, we don't know. We don't know what all of those decisions and all of those value adds are yet. And I think the, the real opportunity is that digital twins open up open up a market for decision improvement so that people can specialize in certain areas of analysis and basically creating a platform for decision making 
and for people developing decision-making tools. And I think that's a huge opportunity in terms of the, the kind of, in terms of the national economic impact of digital twins is, is if digital twin, it, it isn't just a badge you earn. You, you don't just, I've done a digital twin. You're servicing some decision-making need and you are enabled to do that because if you can work with this standardized system, this information management framework, then you can work um, in any sector for any client. And that would really open up a lot of opportunities for innovation, I think. Mm. I agree. Good. I always like to be agreed and, and with. You can, you can use the, I agree, Henry, wherever you like in that. So, Mark, do you think I'm amazing? I agree. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, all right, me, settle down. Um, So on that slightly self-aggrandizing note, thank you very much for listening to the Digital Twin Fan Club podcast, the Mark Enza OBE special. I hope you learned something valuable today and uh, that at least it was interesting. Thanks very much for listening and check out the next one coming soon.